Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 21. And just as you turn to the passage, let's be reminded that the words that we are about to read are more than just words. Uh, They are living and active words of God. And he is speaking to us, his people, this morning. uh, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thanks, Victoria. Uh, we're continuing this series in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, one of the, the most famous kind of passages in the Bible, um, and kind of when Jesus lays out this, uh, what, his vision for what his kingdom is, this thing called, the, he keeps talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. In the other gospels, it's called the kingdom of God. Um, and today, we have just passed the halfway point. Uh, so, Chad, if you want to throw that slide up of the, of the, the, the mountain kind of, my carefully crafted mountain diagram. Uh, I'm still very proud of it. Think about it every day. Uh, yes, so we're, we're kind of just coming down the other side today. So um, if you like, not that the teaching's any less valid, but we're just, it's a way of saying we're over the, the halfway point. So uh, Jesus uh, has, has been talking about this thing called greater righteousness. This idea that, 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 that our, our, our right standing before God, our, our hearts have to, has to be has to be deeper than, than what we do. It's about, it's about what, uh, our motivation for what we do. Um, it's a way of living that has more to do with what's going on in our hearts than actually what we do. Um, so the people of the kingdom, that's us, that the church, um, we're not just to behave in a certain way and, and, and value certain things, but more importantly, far more importantly, where to um, do these things with, with the right heart attitude. And so this is what we've called greater righteousness. So, so Jesus speaks of, of our um, greater righteousness in relation to our obedience to God. Um, and, and now in this central part of the sermon, at the top of the, the mountain, if you like, Jesus is speaking about our, our greater righteousness, what's going on in our hearts in relation to our devotion to God. So a couple of weeks ago, um, Jesus introduced this principle in chapter 6, verse 1. Um, and we saw this principle as our devotion to God uh, should not be motivated by uh, the praise of other people, right? So in other words, uh, Jesus said, whatever you do for God, do it for God. Don't do it for other people. That's essentially what he's saying because uh, those things that you do as a Christian, so the things that you do that, are, that, that you only do because you're a Christian should not be motivated by what other people think of you. They should be motivated by your love for God and your desire to honor him and obey him uh, and not so that other people have a good of opinion of you. And, and Jesus repeats and he reemphasizes his point that the way of the world is to do things so that people see us. Uh, and think highly of us and we think like uh, especially in kind of uh, you know our social media age and and we're going to talk about that later on um, that everything is about kind of self-promotion it's about putting a good image of yourself out there you know those carefully crap you have to move your plate around on the table and and put your knife and fork a certain way just so you can get the right 
Instagram picture. It's all about self-promotion and, and making your, you know, everyone, apparently everyone in the world uh, eats way better than I do. Mostly I just have beans and toast or a normal oven pizza or something, but everyone has carefully crafted meals all the time. But it's that idea that we have, um, that everything we do is motivated uh, uh, for self-promotion. And Jesus says the way of the kingdom isn't like that. The way of the kingdom is to do the right things for the right reasons, even if nobody sees you. Because God, your father, he sees in secret. And he'll reward you for the things that nobody else sees you for or rewards you for. And then uh, after Jesus has given this principle, he, gives us three, he uses three examples. So first we saw given to the needy. And then last week, uh, Thomas looked at prayer. And, and, and this week we're looking at fasting, this example of fasting. So, so our, our giving in the kingdom, when we in, as people of the kingdom of God, when we give to the needy, it's supposed to be sacrificial and self-forgetful, uh, generosity with our finances. So we're not keeping so many accounts of how much we've given away and how much we have left, that it's, that it's free flow and that, that, that we give to those in need and we do it regardless of who's going to see that. And then last week, Thomas walked us through um, prayer. Uh, it's not a chance to show off how spiritual you are, so we're not, we're not praying with f- fancy language. We're not, we're not trying to, uh, you know, uh, pray to show other people that we know all these Bible verses or that we're really holy. We're, we're praying to ask God to bring his kingdom into our lives and into the world around us. And then today, uh, we're going to look at this principle applied to the practice of fasting. So the principle is that our devotion to God should not be motivated by the praise of other people. And the, the practice today that we're going to look at is fasting. So, um, yes, uh, that's what we're going to see in verse 16 to 18 uh, is about uh, fasting. And then in the in 19 to 21, verses 19 to 21, uh, Jesus really wraps up this section on, on uh, our devotion to God. And then he starts to lead into the next uh, section which we'll look at next week, which is this idea of uh, this greater righteousness in relation to the world around us. So um, let me pray for us and, and ask for God's help. Um, I need God's help and you need God's help um, and, and, and then we'll get stuck into this passage. Father, we want to thank you for uh, your word. And as uh, Victoria said, that um, these are not just some words written down 2,000 years ago. These are, this is your word. You're speaking to us. We, we believe that. We trust that. Um, our heads tell us that doesn't make sense, but yet our hearts tell us that it's true. Um, so help us to hear you this morning, Father. Help us to receive what you have for us uh, so that you might be glorified and so that we might know how better to serve you and ultimately have better lives because of that. Uh, in Jesus' name we ask, amen. Um, so a, a number of years ago, I want to start by telling you a quick story. A number of years ago, I went uh, for a two-week trip to India. It's a friend of mine, he was going to India to do some research for his master's and he asked me if I would come along and I said yes, because why would you not go to India? And we went to southwest India, a region called Kerala. You ever heard of it? Unbelievable place. Just beautiful. Like, uh, you've got, you know, crystal clear uh, blue seas on the coast. And then you've got mountains with, 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 you know, jungle and tea plantations and the whole thing. And it's great. Um, and uh, when I was there, I met, uh, I met a man. He was American. That's not really important to the story, but he was. He was American. The point is, he wasn't Indian. He wasn't from there. And he would come to India from time to time to help with a, a charity, an overseas mission thing that he was involved in. And so he would come for kind of like uh, two weeks at a time kind of thing uh, to, to help out with the work and to oversee some stuff. And he, uh, he asked me um, with a, like, kind of like a weird smirk in his face, like how I was enjoying the food. And... Uh, I love Indian food, right? Like, it's amazing. Uh, and, and being in India, the Indian food's even better. 
uh, like you get to have curry for breakfast, so what's not to like? That was my response. So I told him this, I was like, well, I had curry like three times yesterday, so I mean, this is amazing. Uh, and I told him that, and I told him I was loving the food, and I asked him why he'd asked me. And he replied that he actually couldn't stomach Indian food, like he physically, he just didn't enjoy it, and and it made him feel ill. Um, And uh, so he went on to tell me that every time he comes to India, every time he went to India, he would fast. So he he would just stop eating food. Or he'd maybe like bring a packet of crisps or something with them, or I don't know. uh, but the point was, then when people offered him food, he could say, oh no, I'm fasting. I, I don't have to, you know, I'm not going to eat your food. And for him, it was a way of, uh, it was a way of getting out of eating local, fo- local food. And then he said, and as a bonus, I lose a bit of weight, right? So I don't know about you, but at the time, and still now, that strikes me as a really bad reason to fast. It strikes me as really, really weird that he would say that, especially of what we just he- read with, with Victoria this morning. Now, I'm pretty sure if you've, even if you've never read any of the Sermon on the Mount, you probably get a sense that there should be more to fasting than just getting out of eating foods that you don't like, right? It's not like if someone says, you know, a plate of broccoli, you go, oh, no, I'm fasting today. Although, you might. Like, you don't want to just get out of eating delicious curry and freshly made chapati so you say, I'm fasting. That's not what's going on here. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking again about what's going on in our hearts. What are the reasons that we live in this kingdom way? And just like he's done with giving to the needy and prayer, he teaches the disciples that fasting is to be done with the right motivation and for the right reasons. Fasting, like prayer and giving, uh, was one of the core religious practices of the, the Jews in Jesus' time. And, and he makes it clear that this is something that the people of the kingdom are to practice as well. Notice how he says at the very beginning of, of verse 16, and when you fast. He's done this with giving to the needy and with prayer. And when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast. Jesus, at this point in time, doesn't go into the reasons why we fast, or, or how we fast, or, or, or what we fast from, because he just assumes that this is a, a healthy part, a, a vital part of our spiritual life. Now, I would hazard a guess, and I might be wrong, and, and, and you can correct me afterwards if you think uh, I'm wrong, that, that, but I would hazard a guess that most of us aren't that familiar with the practice of fasting. Maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, you, you're, you're very familiar with the concept and practice of prayer and, and giving to the needy, but for most of us, fasting's a bit more mysterious, isn't it? It's a bit more unknown. And it probably doesn't help matters that there's, there's, there seems to be a lack of really good teaching out there on what fasting is but yet here we are faced with this expectation of Jesus that we will fast an expectation that that fasting is going to be part of our lives as we follow him so what are we to make of this what is fasting and why is Jesus talking about it well a good definition of fasting we can have this on the screen is uh, uh, fasting is a temporary giving up of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. So let me say that again. Fasting is a temporary giving up of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. 
And this practice of fasting, this idea of giving up food, uh, was really common in Jesus' time. If you were a Jew back then, there were certain times of the, of the year, uh, certain times of fasting that the whole nation took part in. So the, so the whole uh, of the nation of Israel would fast at certain times of the year. And they were usually connected to certain feast days, right? Usually, um, so you would, you would feast um, on, on Jewish New Year. Or sorry, you would fast on Jewish New Year. You would fast on the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement is the day of the year when the high priest would, would make a sacrifice that would, 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 would take away the sins of the people. And it was when, uh, and on that day, from, from evening the night before to evening of that day, that they wouldn't eat any food. And they, they, they denied themselves food as a way of reflecting on their own sinfulness and reflecting on, on God's, and asking for God's forgiveness. And on top of these special fasts, a fast might also be called in times of need. Like, for example, in the autumn when the rains were supposed to come, if there was no rain coming, then, then maybe a fast would be called and you would really seek God for, for the rain. You would say, Lord, we're going to deny ourselves food right now because we need you to come through for us. We, we need the rain so we can grow our crops so that, so that we can eat and we can, we can prosper. But on top of these types of fasts, um, people would fast individually as well. And they would do this from time to time for various reasons. Um, so you might fast out of repentance, right? So there may be something in your life that you've done and you, need to, you just need, you need to be broken. You need to feel broken. You need to say sorry. You want to show God your, your genuineness in how, uh, how uh, repentant you are. You want to ask for his forgiveness. I, I've behaved this way, Lord, and, or I've been behaving this way and I want to give that up. I know this is wrong. And so to show you uh, how serious I am about this, I'm going to fast and, uh, and ask for your help and ask for your forgiveness. And always in Scripture, and we see this right throughout Scripture, always in Scripture, fasting is about humbling yourself before God. And when we start to think about how fasting applies to us, I think that's a good principle for us to bear in mind. Fasting is about humbling yourself before God. So that, that's what fasting was like in Jesus' time and in the Old Testament times. But what about us? So Jesus comes, uh, he lives, he dies, he, he, he raises from the dead and enters into, oh, and, we, and, and, and ushers in the church era, the era that we're now living in. The time when the Holy Spirit is with us and we exist as God's people, the church, not, as the, not under what's called the Old Covenant as the Old Testament people of God, but as the New Covenant people. So what do we do about fasting? Because we've already seen that Jesus says, and when you fast. Well, a good rule when it comes to thinking about fasting for us, not only is it about humbling ourselves before God, a good way of thinking about it is that we're not commanded to fast, but we are expected to fast. So it's not a command, it's an expectation, right? So this month, right now, um, millions of Muslims all across the world are partaking in Ramadan. Uh, it's a month of fasting. And, and for, um, for Muslims, Ramadan is a requirement. There's no, there's, I mean, you, can, you don't have to fast if, if you're pregnant or if you're sick or stuff like that. But, but genuinely, for, for your average, average Muslim, you have to fast during Ramadan. It's one of the pillars of Islam. And so uh, there's serious, serious consequences if you don't fast. You can't really be a Muslim if you don't partake in Ramadan. But fasting is not the same for us because our salvation isn't dependent on anything we do. Everything we have in Christ is because of his grace and that just means it's a gift. That means it's free. We can't earn it. But in response to all that God has done for us, 
we live lives that are devoted to him and are dependent on him and his goodness. And part of how we do that is through fasting. And so the second thing we need to remember is that fasting is a response. It's not a requirement. Fasting is a response to who God is. It's not, a, it's not something that's, that we're required to do. We do it out of our devotion to him, not because he's telling us to, and there'll be serious consequences if we don't. And this is why Jesus assumes that his followers are going to fast. It's, it's almost to be normal for us. I mean, it would seem strange that Jesus says, when you give, when you fa- pray, when you fast. We're, we're quite happy to think about when we give and when we pray. But then for us, we go, when, I mean, when was the last time I fasted? Apart from, well, I had to go in for an operation. Or last night when I didn't eat food from bedtime until I got up this morning. That's not what I'm talking about. When was the last time that we fasted? These things are to be normal to us. These things are at the center of, of what it means to, to, to live in the kingdom of God. And it's really hard for us to, to go in to talk about what Jesus teaches here about hypocritical fasting if we don't really do any type of fasting at all. I imagine if you went back, to, uh, back in time to um, the first century and the early church there and you asked the Christian, it was like, you know, do you fast or not? They, they would look at you funny like that's a stupid question. Of course they fast. That's, if Jesus taught us to fast. Of course we fast and pray and, and give. These things are normal for our spirituality. And yet for us, I think probably um, it, it's not something that we do that much or, or even think about very much. And I'm sure, I, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm generalizing, I know, because I know there are people out here who do fast and, and have a really good attitude towards that. But the point I want to make about fasting is that surely fasting has never been more important to Christians than it is today as we exist in in a culture and society that trains us from birth to consume. We're brought into the world and we're trained day by day to be consumers. And we're trained to consume and overconsume and keep on consuming and never stop consuming. Think about the way we get our information. This is how we get our information, isn't it? Consuming, consuming, consuming. Fasting is in its very essence a kingdom of heaven practice because it's so counter to the the consumer culture that we live in. And surely for us, as as the blood-bought followers of Jesus living the beautiful way of the kingdom, it's vital to our spiritual health from time to time that we deny ourselves the physical in order to seek that which transcends the physical. This is what fasting is. Out of our devotion to God, we deny ourselves the physical so that we might depend on Him. And so the third thing that we want to see is that fasting is about devotion, denial, and dependence. Um, Abigail, who's a year and a half, she's starting to be able to say a few words. Um, and one of her new words is amen. So we pray, uh, we pray at the dinner time, and uh, she's very cute. She bows her wee head, and then she says amen, which is really cute. Uh, last, last weekend, we were at a wedding, and uh, the minister was praying. He said amen, and then she said really loudly, amen. <laughs> so I was really proud of her. <laughs> Get in there, girl, come on. And uh, anyway, we, but the reason we pray around, the reason I'm telling you that is because when we pray around the table before we eat our dinner at night as a family, it's not just because it's a nice thing to do, although it is, and it's not just because we want to thank God for our food, and it is, definitely, but we want to remember 
Every time we eat, every time we get hungry, we're reminded that we are finite beings and we depend on God to sustain us. Think about it. That's, God has created us this way. God created you with an inbuilt physical system of reminding you that you cannot sustain yourself. Isn't that incredible? Every time you get hungry, that's God in the way that you're created telling you that you can't sustain yourself. It's a shadow. It's a picture of our spiritual selves. That you need something outside of yourself for your very survival. I think that's beautiful. God has made us this way and that's why he's made us this way. Hunger is a a visceral, physical reminder of our spiritual need. Even the way that he tells us to remember his death and resurrection, how does he do that? Through food, through bread and wine. But through the the satisfying of a physical need is a a picture of our, our our spiritual need being met. And so when we fast, as Jesus says we should, and when we fast, we voluntarily deny our bodies uh, something that we crave so that we can enter into a period of humbling ourselves before God and saying, I need you, Jesus. I need you more than I need food right now. I need you that more than I need the internet or, or social media or, or sex or, or whatever it is that you've decided to fast. And so the challenge for us is to think about our habits of consumption. I wonder, uh, and this is something that I've been doing recently, is uh, do you consider what you eat? Like how, how many of us consider what we eat, right? Uh, I think that uh, maybe some of us do, maybe some of us more healthy types, but do I consider what I eat or do I just eat what's there? Or do I just eat whenever I want and whatever I want? Or, or what about how we consume other things like Honestly, ask yourself, are you addicted to social media? I'd say that many of us are without realizing it. And maybe not just social media, but, but maybe are we addicted to our phones? Like when you get up to go to the bathroom, do you without thinking, grab your phone and take it with you? Yesterday we, we, yesterday we were at a wedding, another wedding, so wedding season at the minute, uh, and uh, we dropped the kids off with my mom and, and Haley left her phone there. And Haley, if that would be me, I'd be like, we have to turn the car around right now. And Haley's like, ah, I don't need it. It's fine. I wouldn't say she's addicted to her phone, but I would say that I maybe am. Maybe you need to change the way you consume alcohol. I don't know. Do you think about how you consume these things? Is there something in your life, and here's what you need to think about uh, this week. Is there something in your life that, that you consume that you depend on more than you depend on Jesus? Is there something in your life which you consume that you're more dependent on than you are on Jesus. Because the response of that, or the antidote to that, or the prevention rather than cure of that, is, is entering into periods from time to time of denying these impulses to say to Jesus, I need you, I need you more than food, I need you more than social media, I need you more than anything the world can offer, offer me. Are you, willing to, are you willing with your body to say with your body, Jesus, I need you? I need you and I want you and I trust you. And I'm not sustained by what I put in my mouth or what I put in my brain. I'm sustained by you, Jesus. You created me. You protect me. You provide for me. You guide me. And so when Rachel steps out in faith to to be a missionary 
or other people who are doing things this summer or, or this incoming year, and you're worried about if God's going to provide for you fast, just say, I, I know you're going to provide for me, Lord. So I'm going to give up this, I'm going to give up food, and I'm going to show you that, that I need you to provide for me, and I trust that you will. But then Jesus, he, he, uh, as he, he, he starts talking about fasting, he does what he's done the last two times. He kind of gives us a how not to do this. And so when we see fasting as this physical expression of our devotion to God and our dependency on him, Jesus' teaching here becomes much more poignant because fasting is supposed to be the practice of self-denial. Um, it's supposed to be an act of humility. But what was actually happening was that some people were, were using their, their times of fasting to show off how spiritual they were, okay? So we, we saw this with the giving, you know? I'm, I'm going to make sure that everyone sees me uh, putting the, the, the biggest wad of cash in, in the bucket or, 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 or even with praying. What Thomas was saying last week, when you can use eloquent language, you can overuse words so that people know just how spiritual you are. And, and what's happening here is that people were doing the same thing with fasting. So this is what he says. If you've got your Bible open, just uh, follow along with me. In verse 16, he says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. So the hypocrites sound like a miserable bunch to start with. Um, For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, when he says they disfigure their faces... They're putting ashes on their faces. They're, they're, they're making their, their hair all messy. I'll maybe pick out the, uh, you know, the, my, my, uh, my oldest robe today and wear that. You know, it's got patches on it or it's all threadbare or whatever. I'll, I'll do that. I'll, 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 I'll not wash. I'll, I'll make it look like I'm having a really hard time. So when someone says to me, oh, are you okay? Like, you look awful. Yeah, I'm fasting. Or they might just go, wow, that guy's fasting. Isn't he incredible? And what was supposed to be a practice of humiliation and a humility and devotion to God had become a practice of self-promotion and showing off. They had made their devotion to God about the praise of other people. The very opposite of what the kingdom of God is about. Look at that guy. He looks awful. He must be fasting this week. Or, or oh, we haven't had rain, so I know that some people are fasting. That guy looks terrible. He must be fasting. What a holy and great guy. Or look at her. She must be fasting. She's obviously repentant of something. What a humble woman. I want to be like her. And just like we saw with giving to the needy and with prayer, Jesus says, do not be like this. Don't do this. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't let your outward actions mask what is actually going on in your heart. Remember we saw this idea of hypocrite is, uh, for us means uh, saying one thing and doing the other. For Jesus, it was, it was actually wearing a mask. It was doing something that is the opposite of what's going on on the inside. Don't be a hypocrite. Whatever you do for God, do it for God. Don't do it for other people. How I think this is maybe just one of the most tempting things that we have in our lives, isn't it? Like, I, I want to be, be seen a certain way. I, be, I want people to, to recognize certain things in me. I don't want them to see the bad stuff. I want them to see the good stuff. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't do, if you're going to do something, do it for God. Do it for the right reasons. Now, I know that, that, that not many people in our culture are, are going around wearing ashes or, or making your hair all messy or, or disfiguring your face or that kind of thing. Um, but what does this look like for us, right? Maybe, 
Uh, maybe it's the temptation to tweet about it, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're updating your Facebook status with a fasting this week. Hashtag ashes. I don't know, whatever you might do. Uh, that's why I don't have Facebook. <laughs> I'd be terrible at it. What about, what about posting on Instagram? You know, you post like a, you know, whenever you post a Bible verse, it's all about fasting. Or maybe just instead of your dinner, you post an empty plate, picture of an empty plate or something. Fasting. I always, I always find it strange how, how built-in self-promotion is to us that we, that, we, that we don't even know that we're doing it. And I, listen, I'm not talking about like marketing or, you know, uh, promoting a business or, or whatever. That's totally different. What I'm talking about is promoting ourselves so other people think that we're amazing. It's so built into us, we don't even realize we're doing it. It just happens. And, and social media enables us to do it way more. And it's even crept into our spiritual lives. Like, I love social media. I think, it, I think it's great for, for um, getting information and, and sharing ideas. And, and for, I use it for a lot for news and for sport. And it's great when you're out and you can't get a TV and you need to see the football. Like, that's really, I love that. I love that about social media. It's good for keeping in touch with friends. But we need to be careful we don't use it just to be self-righteous, right? You with me? I always find it strange when you see someone like, I'm going to fast social media for a while, and they've posted it on social media. That's the most ironic thing in the world. I'm giving up social media. Well, then stop. Just give it up already. Anyway, that's a little rant. But it's not just social media. What about... What about if you're fasting and you make the point of refusing food in front of people just so they know that you're fasting? Or just subtly dropping it into conversation just to let everyone know that you're really spiritual? All these temptations to show off your, your own righteousness just so people will think highly of you. And by the way, if, if you know, Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't let people know that we're fasting. If you live with someone Chances are they're going to know that you're fasting. That's okay. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is doing it for that reason. Doing it just so people will know about it. That's not the way of the kingdom. Greater righteousness in relation to our devotion to God means not being motivated by the praise of other people. Because it's about devotion to God in the secret place. The secret place of your own heart. What's going on in your heart? Because that's what God sees. So when we fast, Jesus tells us that we're just to go about our business as normal. Don't make it obvious that you're fasting. Take a shower. Put on some deodorant. Do your hair. Don't broadcast it for everyone to see. Uh, This is about your devotion to God. You're denying yourself. Your dependence on Him. And so whether we're giving to the needy or we're praying or we're fasting, we do it all for God, not for other people. This is, why, uh, this is why he uses the same phrases when he talks about each of these three examples. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, if we give and pray and fast to get the praise of other people, that's all the reward we're ever going to get. We saw this idea when we introduced this principle. You will get what you want. Whatever you want, you will get. If you want the praise of people... You can certainly go and get that, but that's all you'll get. But look at what the opposite of this is in verse 18. That Jesus says, uh, when you fast and on your head and wash your face, i.e. don't broadcast it, do normal things. 
so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you will reward you. So either we get the reward of other people or the reward of God. And what nobody else sees, God sees. I love that. What nobody else sees, God sees. See, our devotion to God in the secret of our heart doesn't go unnoticed. And he's a good father and he rewards us. In this section in the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, this this middle section, remember the peak of the mountain, the greater righteousness in relation to our devotion to God uh, from from, uh, verses 1 to 21 of chapter 6. Jesus mentions this idea of, of reward 10 times. This word that he uses is far more than, than anywhere else in the, in the New Testament. Now listen to what he says in verses 19 to 21. If you have your Bible open, read along with me. Uh, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He sums, up, uh, he sums up what devotion to God and the kingdom looks like and he, be, and he, he begins to, to lead into this section. The Lord Jesus changes from using the word reward to using the word treasure. They're different words, yes, but they're very, very closely related. And the meaning that Jesus conveying through these words is the same. It's my hunch that he changes to the word treasure because in the next section he goes on to talk about specifically about money. But what he's saying is, that everything we do has consequences, okay? Cause and effect. Every act, in every action, you're storing something up. That's what this word lay up for yourselves literally means. It's literally what the word treasure means as well. This idea to store up, like, like a treasury or, or a bank vault or, or a warehouse. Like I, whenever I was a teenager, I worked on a farm and, and, they, and in barns, they would just have just big mounds of grain stored up to feed the cattle with. Big, giant mounds of grain. That's the idea here. It's, it's, it's like mounds of crops in a barn. Everything we do has an accumulating effect. We're storing something up. And for Jesus, it's clear. You can either store up the praise of human beings. That's what he means when he says the treasure that rusts and can be stolen and destroyed. This temporary thing that you're storing up. Or you can store up what he calls heavenly treasures, which is the reward that comes from our Father who sees us in secret. And this is why in each of the examples of giving to the needy, prayer and fasting, Jesus makes it so clear that when we live out our faith for the purposes of being seen by other people, their approval is all the reward we're ever going to get. When we live like that, we're storing up essentially a perishable treasure. We're filling our storehouses with rubbish. It might look good for a while, right? And it might even satisfy for a while. Yeah, I've got like a thousand followers on Instagram. Is that even a lot? I don't know. I assume that's a lot. I got like a, uh, you know, a thousand followers on Instagram. Well, good for you, but that's not going to matter when you die or when a new app comes out and people stop using Instagram. It's not going to last. These things might satisfy us for a while, but it's not going to last. So think about it. Think about this. What's the furthest generation back from you that you can remember the names of? So probably most of us can remember the names of our, most of us probably know our grandparents, right? Um, how many people can know the names of all their great-grandparents? Hands up if you know the names of all your great-grandparents. 
literally no one in this room. Isn't that insane? I don't know the names of my great-grandparents. That's like two, two generations back and you're forgotten. Two generations from me, like my kids' kids' kids won't, won't know my name. Isn't that insane? So, so how, could we ever compare the, how could we ever compare this to like a heavenly reward? How could we ever compare like people thinking good of us to like an eternal reward? See, Jesus is offering, uh, he's offering infinite and eternal and secure rewards that are treasures from God himself. So here's the challenge for us this morning I want us to think about. Yay, another challenge. Um, sweet. Don't worry, I've been challenged by this stuff all week. What are you filling your storehouses with? Are you living to get the praise of other people? What do you want out of life? Do you, do you want people to like you? Do you want people to think you're a great person? Or maybe even think you're really spiritual and a good Christian or even a good leader? Man, that guy, he's a really good leader. He's a really good pastor. Or do you want to store up treasures in heaven? Do you want to get the reward that comes from God? These are things we need to think about because we're storing up something. Sometimes I think that uh, we find the idea of like, spiritual reward quite difficult don't we I think especially in the Protestant tradition it makes us a wee bit uneasy a wee bit nervous and we rightly I think want to stay away from anything that even hints at the fact that that we can earn our salvation and we're right to do that right salvation is a gift there's nothing we can add to it there's nothing we can do to earn it in any way God, the Bible tells us that God chose us before the foundations of the world so before the world ever existed he had chosen you if you're a Christian. But all throughout the Bible, there's this constant offer of reward from God. If we, if, we orient, if we orient our lives in the right way, if we orient our lives towards God, there's reward for that. The reward in itself is a free gift of grace, but it's still a reward for our wholehearted righteousness, this genuine righteousness. So take the example of, of a, a child that, that she decides she's going to wash her dad's car. Now, dad didn't ask her to do that. He, he didn't prompt her to do that. He didn't say, if you do this, I will reward you. She takes on herself to wash her dad's car because her, 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 it needs done and she loves her dad. And so she goes and gets all the stuff, the, the, the soap and the buckets and the wax and washes the car and dries it and waxes it, spends a couple of hours on it. It looks great. Now that dad, he, he's her dad. He's already given her everything she needs. He's given her a home. He's given her food. He's given her clothes. He's given her an education. All the things that she needs, all the things she has in her life come from him. But yet, because she's shown her devotion to her dad and her desire to please her dad, he decides to reward her for doing something good. So he takes her out for ice cream or he gives her some pocket money or, or something like that. It's the same way for our Heavenly Father. That, that, that He has given us everything we need, but yet out of His love for us, his, his, the Bible says this, this great love with which He loves us, He rewards us when we live in devotion to Him. So, so don't be thinking that, that heavenly reward is opposed to grace. It's not. Heavenly reward is a result of grace. It's because we have a good, good Father who loves us. 
Matthew 26, Jesus tells a parable and he kind of explains this. He tells the story of a, a rich man, presumably some kind of businessman, and he's going away on a trip. And before he leaves, he gives three, three of his servants, so that's how we know he's rich. He gives three of his servants some money each. And, and, and when he comes back, he, he wants to know what his servants have done with the money that he gave them. Have they invested it wisely? Have they stewarded it well? Have they multiplied what he gave them? Have they advanced his cause in any way, essentially? And when he returns, he finds that, that two of the servants have invested it wisely. They've actually made a return. They've made a profit. They've taken what he gave them that, that wasn't theirs to begin with, and they've actually seen fruit from it. And listen to what he says. This is in Matthew 25. This is what he says to, to these two faithful servants. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, the master rewards the servants who are faithful to him. It's the ones who've been faithful to him and served him well and been devoted to him who get the reward. God has, has created this uh, order of faithfulness and reward. It's this natural order of things that means there's consequences to our actions. Galatians 6 even tells us that, that we reap what we sow. We will reap what we sow. So if we put all our effort and energy into the things of this world, then that's all we'll ever have. And we know that nothing in this world lasts, right? If your goal is to make a name for yourself, sure, you might be able to achieve that. But what good is that in light of eternity, honestly? And I just want to be clear when we're talking about rewards and treasure that, that Jesus isn't talking about our salvation here. We can't earn that. We, we, we don't obey Jesus and live faithfully to him, serving the poor and, and caring for, for the least in our society just to earn our place in the kingdom of God. That's, that's not how this works. The Bible is so, so, so clear that, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's nothing you can earn. It's nothing you can work for. It's nothing you have done. It's because he loves you. Because of this great love that he loves us with, salvation is this gift of God. That through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, he paid this cost that, that we could never pay ourselves to unite us to himself. And so being united with Christ, we enter into the kingdom and will be in his kingdom forever. But in response to this great gift, just like with the fasting, in response to this great gift, we live in obedience to him. We respond to his grace by devoting our lives to him. Just like the daughter responded to her, her father's love and care for her by being devoted to him. And so like the faithful servants, we, we take what God has given to us and we share it with others, right? We, we strive to be good stewards of all that God has given us through his grace so that someday when Jesus returns, it's not the praise of other people that will fade away, but it's the praise of the master that we get. And we're faithful to him so that someday we're, we're gonna hear Jesus say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. This is the reward that awaits us. Enter into the joy of your master. And then Jesus, as he, and we're nearly done here, Jesus, as he begins to move on to looking at uh, material possessions and the world around us, he, he sums up this entire section of greater, relation, greater righteousness in, in relation to our devotion to God. And he says this, this, uh, this strange sentence in verse 21. 
He says, for, for where your treasures are, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's kind of a strange thing to say, but when we think about it, it makes sense. So uh, we've already seen that, but this idea of treasure is what we, we store up. You know, if you've ever seen the movie, The Pirates of the Caribbean, when they go to that cave and, and there's just heaps of, of treasure in there, like the silver and gold and all the jewels, right? It, it's a bit like that. That's, it's what the, the pirates have been storing up for years and years and years. Uh, and that's the idea that Jesus is talking about. And for Jesus, what you store up is like everything else in the kingdom of God. He brings it back to your heart. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus is making the point that whatever you treasure, whatever you work to store up, is where the focus of your heart lies. He's saying that whatever you treasure shows what your heart really values. And next week, he, 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 he kinda talk, we're going to see that he talks about money. If you're working so hard to store up loads of money, that's, that's clearly obvious then what your heart treasures. It treasures money. Here he's saying, if you're working hard to store up uh, uh, people's approval and the praise of other people, then it's clearly that, that's, what your heart, uh, that's, that's where your heart lies. That's where your affections lie. That's, that's what drives your life. When we think of love, when we think of what our heart, we, we usually think of romantic love, don't we? So when Jesus says, whatever you're storing up, there your heart will be also, it's not romantic love. It's not even our affections, right? So you know in a movie when someone says, I love you with all my heart, it usually means like something like, all my affections are towards you. Now that's not very romantic, is it? Like, all my, I say to my wife, like, all my affections are towards you. You know, it's not, it's not very nice, but that's essentially what they're saying. All my affections are for you. But, but Jesus has a different meaning uh, because in, in Jewish times, uh, or in, the, in Jesus' time in the Jewish culture, uh, heart, the word heart like summed up your inner being. It was your, your essence, the, the thing that drives you, kind of like the way we talk about our gut. It's what sums you up as a person. It's what you base all your decisions on. What am I, I'm going to base my decisions on, on, on my heart. What, you know, what, what, what drives me? Even sometimes now we hear like, follow your heart, that kind of thing. So what Jesus, he isn't merely commenting on our affections or our emotions. It's more than that. He's saying, what you value is who you really are. What you value, what you treasure is what will drive you. It will inform how you make your decisions. Your treasure will direct your life. That's what he's saying. So we were at Adam and Maria's wedding yesterday and Maria's from the States and Adam's from here. And so uh, it required a bit more effort than your average couple for them to be together. So they had to spend time and money and, and use up their annual leave from work to go and visit each other. They had to hire lawyers to sort out visa stuff so that she could come and live here. They had to fly friends and family over for, for the wedding and, and get them places to stay and all that kind of stuff. But if you asked either one of them yesterday, is it worth it, guys? Of course the answer is yes. Of course they're going to say, are you insane? This is, of course it's worth it. Because that's the treasure of their heart, what they value. It drove them to do all of that. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, what you really value, what drives you as a person is what you will store up for yourself. What you love is what you treasure, is what you will treasure. So this means that if you treasure the praise of other people, if that's what's most important to you in life, you'll be able to store that up for yourself, but it won't last. 
And if you, if you value the praise of other people more than you value God, then, then you're really a hypocrite, Jesus says. And this is the opposite of what the kingdom of God is like. See, the focus of our hearts is to be heavenly treasure because heavenly treasure is permanent. It's eternal. And Jesus is saying, if you love me with a whole person love, then you will have a whole person focus on the kingdom of God. So let me finish by challenging us one more time. I just want to ask you this question. Where does your heart lie? Where does your heart lie? When, when you look, and, and the test is this. The test is, what do you treasure? What are you storing up for yourself? When you look at your life and you look at the things that you put time and energy and money into, what does that say about what your treasure is? Even more than that, when you look at your spiritual life, the things you do because you're a Christian and the reasons behind why you do those things, where is your treasure? Where does your heart lie? When you give to the needy or when you pray or when you fast, where is your treasure? And all the way through this section in chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus has been making it clear that we will either have earthly treasure or heavenly treasure. We're going to see more of that next week. But you can't store up both because they're completely opposite to one another. They can't exist together. You can't store them both up in the same barn. So can I just encourage us this morning Yes, please, everyone said it. Because I feel like I've said a lot of I feel like I've said a lot of hard things. And this is hard, these are hard truths that we have to wrestle with and grasp. But the amazing thing is, the amazing thing is that Jesus makes it possible to value him above everything else. Can I just encourage us to can we, can we value Jesus above everything else? Can, can we make Jesus the, the treasure of our hearts? Can, can we make him the reason why we decide certain things and him the reason why we live our lives? He's the one who gave himself up for us. He's the one who left heaven behind to come and walk among us. He's the one who, who gave up the honor of heaven to, to come and die on a cross, to be mocked and, and to be beaten and to be tortured and to be murdered just so that that we could have eternal treasure so why would we value anything else why would you put anything else above him because especially since everything else is going to fade away only the kingdom of god is going to last forever and also let me tell you how i how i know that the, the heavenly treasure lasts forever because when jesus walked out of a tomb after being dead for three days he proved that the life that he gives us is eternal. He proved that the life that, that he offers us can't be beaten ever by death. And this is why we make him our treasure. This is why we, we strive to make him our treasure. This is why we, we value him above else and, and why we surrender not just our emotions and our affections, and those things are important to surrender to Jesus, but, but, but why we surrender our entire being to him, our entire lives. Because he's the only treasure worth valuing. And, and because we are in him and, and, and in him, his reward becomes our reward. The glory that he has becomes our glory. So let me ask us this as we finish. What do we value more? The praise of other people or the praise of Jesus? Do you want likes on Instagram or, or do you want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Because there's, there's, no, there's no comparison, is there? 
As Paul says in Colossians, Christ is all. Let me pray.